How do we select a leader in this incredibly hostile environment and divided nation? Welcome to The Hub for Important Ideas. I'm Steve James. And I'm Ken Swain. In this episode, we continue our discussion about politics in America. We'd like to talk about other subjects, but this election dominates our thinking and... We need to follow up on our last podcast with Jack Moscow. And I don't know that this is our last one on politics, but anyway, it's just us this time. And we'll try to that's a, we'll, yeah, we'll try to bring some fresh perspective to the subject that's been hammered lately. We won't talk about the horse race, who's ahead, who's raised the most money, blah, 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 which seems to be the subject of most news reports. That's all the subject is. It's unbelievable. We're not going to talk about the Hunter Biden Ukraine emails nonsense. I could either. Yeah, really. Uh, well, you know, Steve, when you asked me to jot down some thoughts on the upcoming election and the parlous state of humanity, as I like to call it, I didn't give the matter enough thought. Uh, it wasn't until later that I realized what that would entail. If I'm to be honest about it, I already feel like we're living in some sort of dystopian nightmare, don't you? Yeah, I, it really, it's, it's, a, it's like a bad science fiction movie. It is. I'm in, like, in a bad dream. I, I had premonitions of this pre-Trump, pre-COVID, and pre-Black Lives Matter protesting, but now most of the things contributing to those premonitions, things like climate change and unimaginable inequality— of income, like we've talked about before, they seem to all have been trumped. Oh. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Yeah, by the by, those last three. Well, I hardly think you're alone in all these thoughts. Maybe not, but Steve, that's not even the worst of it. Oh yeah, it gets gets worse, right? Maybe. I feel like our country right now is like a powder keg with a lit fuse, and it's going to come down to election day in November. I don't know what might happen. Yeah, I mean that's kind of what we've been talking about. So, what do you think is going to happen? What, like what? Well, I hope I hope nothing. But I was thinking uh, civil war, and I'm not the yeah. only person to say that. You know, br civil war breaking out in the streets. We know the far right has always been armed, literally, and I'm sure through history there have been conservative presidents who have winked approvingly in their direction, although none in recent history as brazenly as now. You mean like stand down and stand by? Right. Stand by. What does that even mean? <laughs> Nobody knows. I, I know you gun-toting vigilantes are out there and that you're among my supporters, and if things don't go our way, you might get your chance to demonstrate and shoot up businesses and shoot at unarmed citizens? Yeah. that's Maybe that's probably what it meant. And look, those types have always been out there, and they still are. That's a given. That's going to continue no matter what the outcome of the election is. Right. They still are. They're still out there. But I don't recall them ever having been addressed directly from the presidential podium. No. I'm sure they always were from campaign stops, at least in pre-mass media days. I mean, if you were on a train and you're at a whistle stop in Wyoming, you were pretty safe in assuming that most everyone in the crowd was pro-gun. Right. Yeah, I think. And right. you could say you could say very pro-gun stuff, and it would be in the newspaper with, within a day or two, if you can imagine. Yeah, the paper came out on Friday, and that's when you that's when you got the news. Yeah. But uh, no big surprise. Yeah, 
no big surprise. Yeah, and I, I see where you're going because things have changed, obviously. Now you get an actual video. It's online within minutes. Not It's like as it's happening, breaking news. Donald Trump said X, Y, Z. I would say as it's happening is actually better because what's more likely now is an edited version will circulate that shifts the emphasis, omits certain parts, not for brevity, but for content. So the impression left is what a news producer shaped it into. Steve, you're a professional media producer. You know as well as anyone what can be done with editing. Well, the thing is now, yeah, I mean, anybody can shoot video, literally. I mean, they do. Kids, right. everybody. Yeah, and, and they, they are. are. And now the editing technology is coming into its own. So amateur editing is, you know, it's prevalent. And so you're going to see, I think, some doctored videos that people are going to be scrambling to deny. And other people are going to look at it and go, well, the camera doesn't lie. But it, you know, yes, the, it editing, does. the editing does. So we've got that to contend with. Let's talk about the pre-election, Okay. I, okay. I went on Biden's campaign website and found his 50 positions spelled out each in multi-page detail. Now, I, I'm sure he didn't write all this. This is, you know, the Democrat Party or Democratic Party, depending on whether you're Rush Limbaugh or not, platform. But here are some of the, the positions that, you know, the He's taken on taxes, economy and jobs, racial equity, immigration, unions, gun violence, women's issues, climate change, campaign finance, corruption in government, substance abuse. It's an impressive, yeah, wow. it's an impressive list. And I think his strongest position is on climate change and environmental justice. My only complaint is that his plan will take so long. Until 2050, in many cases. When me and you and Biden will all be dead. More than likely, yeah. Yeah. But he has the heart of the Green New Deal at work. He even labels Green New Deal or mentions Green New Deal. And his is a strong position. I like it. Okay. His position on taxes is okay, but I think it falls short. He has nothing on taxing wealth like Elizabeth Warren had. Who seems to have faded into the woodwork. Yeah, I, what, I think she embarrassed herself. I don't know. She's, I, I, wish, I wish she were out there making her feelings known because she's, she's a tough campaigner. But anyway, nothing in Biden's uh, website on inherited wealth. No new ideas. He really doesn't have much to combat economic inequality which I'll get to in a minute, a little bit more on that. I'm sure. Same with the economy and jobs, no new ideas other than Green New Deal jobs. His position on corruption in government is also strong and surprising for me. He's proposing a constitutional amendment to eliminate private campaign donations. What? Yep. Why is this the first time I'm hearing about this? Uh, because it's about content. And not about the horse race. Exactly. Okay. I can't believe that the former vice president, presidential candidate, is proposing a constitutional amendment 
And this is not the subject of an entire debate. I don't know. Anyway. Right. He's also proposing a commission on ethics with subpoena power and enforcement, unlike what we've seen with Congress and Trump just willy-nilly blowing off any subpoena that was served on the White House. He's saying, no, this will have subpoena power and enforcement. I don't know what the enforcement is. Marshals with guns, maybe. I don't know. Biden has a very traditional approach, and I think it has some merit, but I also think he's going to run into some problems. He's very weak on lobbying controls and has nothing on the revolving door or bringing back the equal time rule. And I think all of those are essential to really fight corruption in government. And I think he has it backwards. I've been saying for years, like most of the politicians. Like most politicians do. Exactly, yeah. He wants to control the donors when what I think he needs is to make accepting a campaign contribution of anything above $100 as an illegal, unethical conflict of interest. Well, he needs to have a long conversation with the progressives like the AOC and Bernie Sanders on this. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think that the idea of someone who is regulating an industry and accepts money from that industry, anyone who is awarding contracts to companies in an industry like defense contracts and then leaves their position in the Pentagon or leaves office and goes and works for that contractor. I think all of those things, anything that's a conflict of interest or the appearance of a conflict of interest, that has to be addressed. Good luck with that. Yeah, well, he wants to do a constitutional amendment. I think that's what the amendment should be, the conflict of interest amendment. But I've been saying this for decades. Yep. Anyway, there's nothing in Biden's website about war. Steve, war is a chi issue. Right. Yeah, chi, if you if anyone missed it, chi is contemporary heroism initiative that you and I and some other gentlemen began in New York City a number of years ago. And war was one of the key issues. Still is. Yeah, still is. The U.S. has been at war for 19 years. Three presidential terms have been taken up, not counting the Gulf War in the 90s. Biden has supposedly said that he favors withdrawing some troops from the Middle East, but it's not a position I could find on his campaign website. Interesting. Yeah. Withdrawing troops and ending wars are two different things anyway. The words war and peace do not come up. Similarly, there's nothing about military spending, either increasing it or decreasing it, the way Sanders had come out and called for a 10% cut in military spending. Nothing on that anyway. And not debate questions or in the agenda. Right. While we're on the subject of the debate, as I heard that there, uh, mm-hmm. my friend Beverly had uh, proposed after that first debate that they need to turn the microphones off. I think, she, I think you know, when the other guy's trying to make... Turn, and the, turn out the... They should have turned the microphones and the lights well, off. Well, yeah, because that, that's probably <laughs> yeah. what it's going to come down to this time. There'll be wild gest- gesturing that'll distract. But I guess they've adopted, uh, do- adopted her idea, and they're going to mute the microphone of the other guy so that you can get your two-minute thing said. I think that's... Uh, Interesting, probably a good idea, but I don't know if it's lost on people that, you know, that's affecting the debate in a very tangible way. And people have to decide if they want to have a guy that's constantly 
talking over the other guy and notice that and see it as, you know, a bad thing possibly, but okay, we're going to do it this way. That's good. I think the problem is everyone in the media that covers this, that participates in this, and everyone on both political parties are pretending that this is normal, that it's normal for one candidate to just talk over the other one and not obey any of the Be rules. Be incredibly rude and, and obnoxious. And lie. Yeah, and just make stuff up and lie. This total erratic, crazy behavior. Everyone just pretends, oh, we'll just have a debate and we'll just, you know, oh, well, then we'll just turn down the microphones. This is not a healthy-minded person <laughs> we're dealing with. Okay? Yeah. Everybody? He's a malignant narcissist who wants to be a dictator. Okay? Let's not pretend that this is Richard Nixon having a bad day or something. It's not. And I'd like to point out that if he gets voted in a second time, you're going to see that. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. Back to Biden. Yeah. Nothing on abortion. Now, it may have been buried in the women's issues section. I didn't read everything. It was like thousands of words in this you know, website. But Well, Steve, I'd like to point one thing yeah. out, and that is that the, the left, ever since we've got Roe v. Wade, the left doesn't think there's a problem relating to abortion because abortions are legal, and that's fine. The people who have a problem with abortions are people on the right who don't agree with Roe v. Wade and would like to undo it or whatever the position would be. Well, in my humble opinion, the left is dead wrong. I consider it cowardly on Biden's part, okay? Okay. On the Democrats' part. Abortion is one of the most complex and divisive issues in America and needs to be addressed head on, period. Okay. You tell it. Now, look, Roe v. Wade is thought by everyone to be, oh, it's when the Supreme Court said abortions are legal. If you look at Roe v. Wade... It's a brilliant compromise between two widely held positions, and it needs to be explained, defended, and brought to both sides of the argument as the only reasonable answer. You can't all just assume Roe v. Wade is a done deal or they're going to repeal or overturn Roe v. Wade. Roe v. Wade is the only answer to the question of abortion in America, as long as you've got two sides that are diametrically opposed with two positions that cannot be addressed by the other. If you believe abortion is murder, there's nothing the other side can say. Oh, we're pro-murder. Right. You're pro-murder. Wait a minute. Or, well, I think a woman has a right to make decisions about her own body. No, she doesn't. Really? And what decisions about a man's body does a man not have? Can you imagine if women were demanding that men have vasectomies and you had to go and have a vasectomy? I mean, it's like what part of these these two positions will find common ground? There's no common ground on murder. Right. Right? It just isn't. But you can make a compromise, which is what the Supreme Court in its brilliance came up with. But everyone is treating Roe v. Wade like it's something other than what it is. It's a compromise between these two positions where you can abort a fetus that cannot live independently of the mother. 
but once it becomes viable, yep, viable enough to to, to be independent, then it's a person. Then, then it's a person. You can't abort it. And somewhere in that second trimester is where that occurs. This idea that you're a person at conception is really, yeah, you can make that case, but it's not accurate. This idea that God magically infuses this zygote with an immortal soul, that's a fantasy. So what the Supreme Court has done, I think, is, is made a brilliant compromise. But you've got to take that position. You've got to stand up and say, I'm pro-abortion, but I'm pro-Roe v. Wade and the way Roe v. Wade addresses the issue. Not, oh, this is the, the one position, the only position, and the other position is crap. That's ridiculous. Anyway. Anyway, I, I digress. There's very little in Biden's website in his platform on mental health mental health another key issue steve absolutely it's been one for us for a long time dozens of years yep it's ernest becker 101 he does have a substance abuse position uh biden i mean he's against it (laughs) okay good (laughs) right supposedly there'll be something on suicide prevention coming but nothing nothing now Nothing I could find on things like stress and depression. Mental health is touched on in other areas, you know, like gun control. But there's no clear plan or discussion on the subject. Okay, well, let's talk about why Biden's not clear about economic inequality. Okay, here's some stuff I came across. According to Forbes, the Biden Victory Fund is a PAC that accepts contributions up to $360,600 per person. Now, for those of you who have not been paying attention, there is a cap on what an individual can donate to a campaign. And I forget what it is. It's like a couple thousand bucks. But you can donate whatever you want to a PAC, which is what's going on. And these other super PACs that favor Biden, they have contributors making six- and seven-figure donations. For those of you who don't have a little pen handy, seven figures is a million dollars, okay? They're contributing millions. So, for example, the Unite the Country PAC is spending $12.1 million on pro-Biden TV ads. Right. So, Forbes makes it very plain. Bernie Sanders said, his campaign returned the one billionaire spouse's donation it received and took no others. Joe Biden, on the other hand, has received support from 94 billionaires, most of them Silicon Valley and Wall Street. Those are his big ones. He's received support from two fossil fuel execs, but his campaign returned their money. Why no fossil fuels? Well, I guess it looked bad considering his position on climate change. So, and he had enough he had enough money to to turn back whatever the chump change they were they were donating. Okay. Donald Trump has received support from 90 billionaires as of May 18th. Biden and Trump's super PACs are battling it out. America first versus priorities America. That's funny. Yeah. Sound alike. Yeah. America priorities first. America. Priorities America. Yeah. Who thinks who thinks up these names? So if you're wondering why Biden is weak on economic inequality, 
and in my opinion, war, maybe. Maybe it has to do with the source of his support. Maybe his billionaire, i.e. oligarch, supporters would not be lavishing millions on him if he had taken position similar to Sanders and Warren's. Maybe maybe someone should ask him sometime. That's a good one. Yes, maybe they should. So, meanwhile, according to CNN, the International Monetary Fund is predicting a long and uneven recovery from the pandemic, but some banks are still winning big. Investment banking giant Goldman Sachs. This is my announcer voice. Goldman Sachs reported huge third quarter gains, nearly doubling its profits to $3.6 billion. J.P. Morgan Chase and BlackRock also had big quarters. Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan Chase, these are the same guys that put the world economic system almost out of business yeah. in 2008. Yeah. Isn't that right? Yeah. Same guys? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's good. They're doing good. Yeah. And the ones that the Obama-Biden administration never prosecuted. Yep. Not back back in them. the back in the bicycle seat. Back in the saddle. And, and you hate to connect those dots, but here we are, what is it? How many years? Twelve years later, and now they're supporting Joe Biden. Surprise. What a surprise. None of them did the perp walk. I know. Here's a million dollars campaign contribution. Thank you, Joe. I've been a little hard on Biden, but as I've said to my daughter on occasion, when you find the perfect candidate, let me know, and I'll be sure to vote for her or him. Okay. Okay. I'm I'm done picking on Biden. Let's talk about good. Let's talk about Trump's campaign. I can hardly wait. Yeah. I went on Trump's campaign website, www. This is great. Securewinred.com to see his positions. Now, we've talked a lot about Trump's personality disorder, and a lot of people's concerns with Trump are tied directly to his malignant narcissism, which we believe poses a danger to the country and the world. But I wanted to just put that aside for a minute and talk about his platform. Okay, Steve, let's talk about his platform. Okay, Ken. Well, as I'm sure you know, there was no platform on his website (laughs) (laughs) or anywhere else. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. No. So, no issues, no positions, only ways to donate money to his campaign. Interesting. Right. So, now, the Vote Smart website says, quote, Donald Trump has failed to provide voters with positions on key issues covered by the 2020 political courage test. I'm not sure what that is. Me neither. Despite repeat yeah, despite repeated requests from Vote Smart and voters like you. Hmm. Wikipedia, yeah, Wikipedia says, quote, the political positions of United States President Donald Trump, parentheses, sometimes referred to as Trumpism, have frequently changed. <laughs> no duh. <laughs> yeah. That is like the driest <laughs> um, explanation of why they're not bothering to put together a Trump platform. Why even bother? Right. I saw one website that tried to do that. They just listed all the things that Trump, you know, just bullet after bullet. Trump said this, and Trump said that, and Trump said this, and Trump said that. And they just all contradict each other on issue after issue. It's like, oh my God, it was hilarious. Well, because Trump changes his position so often, you can usually find a statement or remark of his that you agree with most of the time. 
like true productions. Right. Now, Brooking expresses the opinion the Republican Party platform is l'état, c'est moi. Pardon my French pronunciation. Oh, that was fine. It's French. Tra- it was good. Okay. Translated as I am the state or I am the nation, a quote originally attributed to French King Louis XIV in 1655. Others say Trump's platform is whatever the leader says, or, quote, the cult of the leader. I like that one. I like, this is a cult. I mean, what you know, Yeah, the cult of the leader. Call it what it is. And, so, yeah, and people are calling these early signs of American fascism. Right. So I heard this very interesting interview with Jason Stanley. He's a professor at Yale, and he's the author of How Fascism Works. And he was on WBAI, and the interview said the Republican National Convention speeches in 2020 are reminiscent of Nazi Germany. Sounds familiar. Doesn't it, though? What does it sound like? Kind of like what, yeah, like sounds like what Jack Moscow was talking about. Doesn't it? Yep. So Trump is described in these speeches as protecting America and the world from lawless, dangerous elements. Yikes. Which is exactly what the Nazis were saying back in the 30s. They're protecting the world from these horrible communists and these gays and these Jews and the Roma protecting the Aryan race from being diluted by mongrels. It's basically the same stuff. So for Trump and his party, there's us and them. Mm -hmm. You're either a friend or an enemy. So when they talk about, well, it's they're anti-science. Well, yeah. Science is neutral. Right. It's not political, and neutral science has no place in their scheme. If a scientist disagrees with Trump, they're the enemy. If they agree with Trump, they're the friend. Simple as that. And this is his narcissism at work, but it's also, this is a way of governing, which is autocratic, which is fascistic. That's what's what's at work. So this... Professor Stanley, he talks about the pillars of fascism, which he describes as an ideology of power. And I like that phrase. Yeah. He talks about having a mythic past, propaganda, anti-intellectualism, unreality, hierarchy, victimhood, law and order, Sodom and Gomorrah, work shall make you free. These are the pillars of what he considers pillars of fascism. Loyalty to Trump is the only guide. So how do these pillars of fascism relate to Trump? Well, let's go down the list. All right. Go ahead. Uh, How about a mythic past? Make America great again. Okay. Uh, Propaganda. Fox News, talk radio, thousands of lies, claims to have built the strongest economy in the, quote, all caps, history of the world. Okay. Uh, Anti-intellectualism. Anti-science, ignorance of history, outlandish personal attacks on his rivals in debates and media interviews, and especially, on top of all of them, Twitter. Right. His home base. Yeah. Uh, Unreality. Again, anti-fact and anti-truth. For example, since February, I looked this up, the president has declared at least 38 times that COVID-19 is either going to vanish or is currently vanishing. You hear him saying, we've rounded the corner? Yep. In the last debate with Biden, 
he referenced the QAnon sheets and pillows conspiracy. Now, most people didn't understand it at the time because Trump sometimes speaks in what one analyst called, quote, an indecipherable code of far-right fever swamps. <laughs> Isn't yeah. that a great I've heard that I've heard that referred to also as dog whistles. He does, yeah. You know, dog but, whistles are, humans can't hear them, but dogs can. Right, yeah. Yes, the left couldn't make sense of the pillows and sheets reference because it referenced a conspiracy theory. That they, that don't, they, know, really, that they don't know about. Or they dismissed it months ago. <laughs> right. Anyway, right. Okay, go on. Okay, uh, victimhood. This is a good one. And this has to do with narcissism. Trump has tweeted the phrase presidential harassment, again, I looked this up, 37 times in the last two years. In March 2019, he tweeted that he had faced, quote, the most vicious and corrupt mainstream media that any president has ever had to endure, which, of course, is nonsense. <laughs> in July, in July 2020, Trump asserted that he was the victim of, quote, political persecution or prosecution, one of those, by the U.S. Supreme Court after he lost his tax returns case. So if he loses... Which is just a, the tax returns thing is just a normal thing that every president has always done. Yeah, and it's just, they're just going by the law, yeah, right? Yeah, but he But if he loses, he's a victim. Right. Next. Okay, what, what about law and order? Well, in his 2015 speech, when he announced his candidacy, you know, on the road, the elevator. Yep. He referred to immigrants from Mexico and and people from you know South American countries as rapists and murderers. <laughs> and right. And since then, Trump claims to be, quote, protecting our history. This is from his website, I believe, standing up for our flag and defending us from all caps radical socialism. Dun dun dun. <laughs> Trump and Pence have mentioned law and order on the stump more than 90 times this year, including seven from Trump in the first presidential debate. And then he even tweeted while he was hospitalized with COVID-19, all caps, law and order, vote. And he said things like, if I don't win, which he's tweeting, right? America's suburbs will be, all caps, overrun with low-income projects, anarchists, agitators, looters, and, of course, quote, friendly protesters. And this whole law and order thing is, you know, originally from Richard Nixon. That's standard fear practices 101. Yeah. In an election year. Yeah. Hierarchy. Well, remember in episode 17 or 18, we talked about hierarchy as an aspect of narcissism? Yeah. I can't say all autocrats are narcissists any more than I can say all narcissists want to be autocrats. But in my mind, the two are joined at the hip. Narcissists have been shown to like hierarchy because they want the opportunity to be at the top of the group, nation, or world they find themselves in. And now Trump has actually achieved it, the narcissist's dream. He's at the apex of humanity the most powerful and potentially most dangerous man in the world. Right. Yeah, amazing, isn't it? Yep. But he doesn't have the full authoritarian power of a Putin or Kim 
or she. However, he could have that power. He has to declare martial law because of a rigged election or there's violence in the streets or whatever, seize control of the government, dissolve Congress, and become a dictator like the men he so admires. And who's to say that won't happen? Well, let's hope cooler heads prevail. Let's hope. Okay, work will set you free. This is a good one. So, what is most important to Americans and Trump? It's the economy. Trump's message is go back to work, go back to school, even if it means getting the virus. And if you become infected, you'll be like Trump. You'll get it. You'll get over it. You'll be immune. Herd immunity will be achieved and everything will go back to normal. Otherwise, we will destroy the economy, which is our greatest strength as a nation. And at the same time, he's saying, reject the socialists who are trying to destroy the economy. They don't respect your hard work, but work frees you from their elitist trap. Oh, great. And two million people will die getting to herd immunity, if that's even possible. But the survivors will be free to not wear masks. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Last one. Last one. Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah, I I like the way Dr. Stanley put it in his interview on Democracy Now! He said, The real values come from the heartland. The people in the city are decadent. Doesn't that sound like Hitler and Trump? Yeah. Remember what what Trump said about— I think people really do think that. I think there are people who think that. Sarah Palin was one of them. Anyway, remember what Trump said about— Baltimore, New York, about Democrat cities. Yep. I mean, it, was, it was all, yeah, it's all like that. Then you have QAnon, and they're spreading this conspiracy theory, all these theories about Democrats, and millions of QAnon followers believe this stuff, that a high-ranking anonymous government official called Q is providing top-secret information in internet posts about a cannibalistic, satanic cabal of deep state actors who are engaged in a child trafficking ring that Trump has been chosen to dismantle. Unbelievable. They make Sodom and Gomorrah Gomorrah look tame by comparison. It's just incredible, but they've got millions of people who believe this. You're right. They make Sodom and Gomorrah look tame. So, in his first public comment on the subject, Trump said, I heard that these are people that love our country, so I don't know really anything about it other than they supposedly like me. Wow. So, the pillars of Trumpism uh, seem to match up with the pillars of fascism pretty well, don't they? Pretty well. Yeah, I think Dr. Stanley has a timely book there. And that's the source of Jackson, our concerns. Absolutely. That's why we're as concerned and nervous and anxious as we are. And I don't want to overstate it. It's not like I'm sitting here biting my fingernails to the bone. I don't think you can I don't think you can overstate it. You no, know, it's disquieting. It's it, it it just it just is. Okay. So now let's get to the question. Why did people vote for Trump in 2016? Okay. Uh, in my opinion, number one is racism. Okay. And I think Jack Moscow was saying 
And I, I'm guessing about 25% voted for Trump because of his racist views and dog whistle messages. That's just a guess. But on remember, my part. some Trump voters voted for Obama in the previous presidential elections. So not all Trump's votes were racist. Right. So that's why I'm saying it's like, I, I don't know the percentage. I don't think anyone has actually done the percentage, you know, done a study, but I'm saying about like a quarter of his, of his votes are specifically racist. Okay. I mean, we're all, all Americans are white supremacists to some degree or other, yep. all white Americans anyway. So it's, you know, but they're voting for racist reasons. Number two, and I think this is crucial, abortion. Yeah. Democrats have never addressed the issue in its entirety. They're just like the Republicans. They both espouse one side of the issue and don't discuss the other. And many voters see voting for anti-abortion candidates as a religious obligation. I agree. And like we have talked about before, when you gave the two lists of left issues and right issues, abortion shows up on as one of the mm. first three or four right issues, and it doesn't even show up on the left list anywhere. And I think that's because the, for, uh, for the, the top, left, certainly not, certainly not for the, the top. For the 10. left, yeah. the, the abortion thing is settled and decided with Roe v. Wade, and they think it's just completely been put to bed. It's a done deal. And yeah. the right does not share that view. No, they, if, if you see abortion as murder, which I don't, but I can understand how people do. I can too. And if they see abortion as murder, then you don't equivocate. You don't say, oh, a woman has a right to commit murder. Right. You have to address that and discuss it out loud and take your lumps and say, we're going to compromise between these two positions like the Supreme Court did with Roe v. Wade, but they're not doing that. And therefore, the Democrats just give up a large percentage of the population that's going to vote for Trump because of abortion, period. On that one issue, right. On that one issue. Okay, number three, immigration. Xenophobia towards Muslims, Mexicans, non-white countries, and that's all tied back to racism. Yep. Anti-elitism. Now, this is tricky. Trump is a New York millionaire, not a billionaire, but New York millionaire, born to wealth, never worked a day in his life except as an executive, but he was always an outsider. He was never part of the New York elite. And in a weird way, I think Trump understood, either rationally or intuitively, that he could appeal to working-class middle Americans. And part of it was his anti-correctness. Yeah. And we've said it before, extreme political correctness is insulting to millions of Americans with a contrary opinion. I agree. Trump either attacks or ignores political correctness, which appeals to a lot of people. The working class was abandoned by the Democrats and Republicans decades ago. The people who work with their hands, which is, I think, I don't know what the statistics are, but it's the majority of people. It's a lot. A lot. The people who work with their hands were not represented in the White House of Obama, Bush, or Clinton. Uh, yeah, these presidents, they were folksy at times, but they were elitist in their cabinets of Ivy Leaguers and policies that favored Wall Street, Silicon Valley supporters, corporate CEOs, where their money came from, where their support came from. 
And look, in my opinion, I'm probably quoting somebody I can't name, but a meritocracy is not a democracy. Well, that's true. Not in their pure forms, as we've discussed before. They have allegedly existed simultaneously, Mm -hmm. at least in theory. Right. But at some point, you have to have in your cabinet someone who has worked with their hands. Right. Does not have a PhD from Harvard or the Wharton School or has never amassed a fortune of a billion dollars in their portfolio. Right. At some point, you've got to have a person who will speak for the working person. Right. And who will look at your policy and say, this harms working people. Right. And if, if you're Bill Clinton and you're appointing Robert Reich as your Secretary of Labor, and I love Robert Reich. I do too. But Robert Reich, he's one of the elite. Now, I'm not saying he is elitist. Right. In his presentation, he's not. He's cool. But he fundamentally is not a working person who has spent his time working in a warehouse or in a foundry or planting corn. These people have every bit as much right to be in the government making policy as anybody else. Yeah. And to say, well, you know, we, we want the best and the brightest. We want the Ivy League graduate. For certain issues, yeah, you want that. But for certain other issues, you want another perspective, another opinion. Yeah. And and I think the working people of America recognize that they're not represented. Yeah. They weren't represented in Obama's White House. Yeah. And we're pissed about it. And we're pissed about it. Rightly so. So anyway, economics. Yep. Now, this has been talked about at length, but it bears repeating. 40 years of wage stagnation, lack of opportunity, little hope for the future, all added up to a struggle for middle Americans' self-esteem, purpose, and meaning. And we use the word working class like that's a, you know, like it's hyphenated, working class. But we're talking about class here. Yeah. The working class versus the upper middle class. And it's the upper middle class and the upper class that's running the show. Right. And and the economics has, has worked in their favor and not in favor of the working class. And now uh, many of them have their kids uh, still living in their basements. Yeah. And so that's their future. They're looking at their future and they're going for the first time in 200 years or more. The next generation is not doing as well as the previous generation. It's un-American. Yeah. And they were robbed of their defenses against death anxiety. So Trump promised something new. As we said, a return to a mythic past. Always appealing. We like a mythic past. We like a mythic past. Absolutely. So like I said, they took a chance. Yep. Hillary Clinton offered more of the same elitism and economics that favored the coastal urbanites. Trump was a TV game show star who offered something new. And voters decided, give him a try. I'm sure there are other reasons, like party loyalty once Trump became the standard bearer. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. But, and this was something we had talked about, image, number seven, Trump projected strength in 2016. Which is what Dan Lichty talked about in his podcast on leadership. Right. It's the cult of the leader at work, which is part of this theory on fascism. I heard a story on Radiolab that reported on a study that said 32% of Americans 
would prefer a strong leader who didn't have to deal with Congress. Yikes. It's not democracy. Yeah, it's not not the democracy we've been living with anyway. Well, like you said, Dan – Yeah, 32, 32%. Dan Lichty talked about it and used the, uh, the Freudian concept of transference. Mm-hmm. Dan said it's normal that we all do this. Uh, we believe that through our authority figures, we have things under control. They defend us, and we unconsciously now, unconsciously want them to protect us uh, from the concept of our own mortality and death anxiety. Right. This is our fantasy and illusion that Becker would talk about. Right. We, right. All, we all need the authority's approval, whether it's from parents or teachers or bosses, but especially from people with some power that we can share in. Right. And as we said, in this democracy, we evaluate potential leaders in terms of how good a transference object they are. And Trump projected that for 10 years on TV and then projected it through his campaign and projects it now. Yeah. What Trump and his party do, they depend on conspiracy theories. And I know there are conspiracy theories on both sides, but according to CNN, when you think about this, Trump has refused to condemn QAnon. You know, as conspiracies go, that's laughable. It's like a Saturday Night Live skit, except that QAnon is real. Yeah. And when asked about his recent retweet of a claim that Osama bin Laden isn't actually dead, he said, people can decide for themselves. Good one. But maybe Osama bin Laden isn't dead. I mean, never. we don't have the body to, to prove it. But still, it's like, this is the president of the United States engaging in this kind of conspiracy nonsense? This is the kind of thing you get stoned in your in your dorm room and, and talk about. This isn't something you talk about in an actual presidential election. According to Reddit, there have been four studies that confirm that conservatives in the U.S. are more likely than liberals to endorse conspiracy theories and espouse conspiratorial worldviews, plus extreme conservatives. They're significantly more likely to engage in conspiratorial thinking than extreme liberals. Now, I've known some extreme liberals who really delve into conspiracy theories. Yeah, and I would like to know when those studies were performed. And I'm guessing it might have been before yeah. what's going on on the West Coast was, was going on. Well, the lefties have the truthers and the anti-vac and all that stuff. Yeah, they so, have their own extremist clubs. Yeah, yeah. but the conservatives and the extreme conservatives are still leading, are still leading the pack. Unbelievable. So what we're saying, folks, is in this list are lessons for Republicans and Democrats alike. If you don't want another Trump in 2024, you need to address what got Trump elected in the first place. Okay, let me ask then, why will people vote for Trump again? This November. Well, I've said it before. I don't blame people for voting Trump the first time. As some have said to me, they thought he would surround himself with good people. He would rise to the position. He'd become more presidential in his demeanor and be a change agent in a broken political system. Change agent. And they were willing to take a chance. They wanted a change. And so now many of them are disappointed. Now Trump has a record to run on, and it's not very good. His incompetence is obvious to anyone paying attention. But Trump supporters are loyal. They love him. 
I've heard people say this. They love him. They say things like, well, he may say some things that aren't accurate or worded properly, but he's our guy. They are loyal to their team. Even when the coach does illegal or unethical things, the fans remain loyal. That's right. And many of their original reasons for voting for Trump, like racism, anti-abortion, and anti-elitism, still hold today. And when reminded of their mortality, which is fairly often, let's face it, during a pandemic, people tend to favor incumbent candidates. And that gets us back to TMT. That's TMT. Absolutely right. That's well, That was Sheldon five years ago at New York Society for Ethical Culture. Yep. Especially if now Trump is accepted by the other elected officials, like the Republican senators and congressional representatives and the prominent news media. Trump's antics have been normalized. Remember that? Remember when they were saying, this is wrong, we're normalizing him. Well, that's what happened. Yeah. He's been normalized. And I think we all pretend, especially the media, they all pretend this is a normal election. And I think it's because unconsciously or consciously, we fear the end of our system of government. That's the main foundation for our society. It's a terrifying prospect. It really is. I don't think this is a pie in the sky. I think there's good reasons to have that fear. And not to forget that the whole thing is a primary defense against death anxiety. Absolutely. Yeah, the prospect of 32% saying they're willing to forego Congress. You know, they just want a strong leader who doesn't have to answer to Congress. Well, when that becomes 51%, that could very well be the end of democracy for us. Yep. Could be a radical change in our social order. That's a terrifying prospect. You are then exposing yourself to the dread of death because your defenses are being chipped away at or just disintegrating in front of you. And it might not all happen in an eye blink. It might take years. But when you see it coming, the fear is very real. Yes, I think that's very true. This is all very, very complicated, isn't it? Yes, it is. Well, these are important ideas. That's what we are about. So I pulled this quote. As a North Carolina Republican named Josh said earlier this year, if Joe Biden drops out and the DNC runs a tomato can, I will vote for the tomato can because I believe the tomato can will do less harm than our current president. (laughs) Where's Andy Warhol when we need him? Exactly. (laughs) Steve, a a lot of disturbing and important ideas. Yes, they are. Well, Everybody, join us next time. Like us on Facebook. Please recommend us to your friends. You can find us at www.thehubforimportantideas.com. And support us on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash thehubimportantideas. We are 100% listener supported. Thank you for listening to The Hub for Important Ideas. I'm Steve James. And I'm Ken Swain. Stay safe, everybody. Stay well. Stay well.